Welcome to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Sam Abbott, registered dietitian nutritionist and PCOS nutrition expert. I'm here to help you learn how to manage PCOS and support your hormones while also having a healthy relationship with food in your body. You can improve PCOS symptoms and labs without dieting. Get ready to feel better with PCOS and leave diet culture in the rearview mirror. Welcome to another episode of the Nourish with PCOS podcast. Have you ever wanted to hear from somebody who has actually done PCOS research? If so, you are in luck because in today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Dylan Cutler. Um, Dr. Cutler is an online health educator, scientist, and consultant. She empowers people with PCOS to support their hormonal health, regulate periods, enhance fertility, improve mood, and gain body confidence. And Dr. Cutler has her PhD in obstetrics and gynecology. And in this episode, we chat about some of the PCOS research that she's done in the past. Um, She also is very passionate about plant-based diets. So she gives some tips if you want to increase the plants in your diet. Um, We also chat a little bit about veganism and vegetarianism. And if you do follow a plant-based diet, what are some nutrients of concern to look out for? Um, I know it's a really big myth in the PCOS space that being vegan or vegetarian is bad for your PCOS or bad for blood sugar balance. So we also talk about that as well. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Dylan. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm so excited that you're here. Me too. It's been a long time of connecting online and now we're face to face. Yeah, it's so fun to be able to really chat with people that you've messaged with back and forth on social media. Hmm, I agree. Well, for the listeners who may not know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So my background uh, is very heavy in PCOS, both personally suffer from it and have overcome a lot of those struggles. And then I also um, conducted research in PCOS uh, during my PhD. So both professionally and personally, um, PCOS is a big part of my life. I started, um, I I guess in pre-med was when I first uh, started looking into uh, conditions that affected mostly women. And that was my passion I felt as I saw it as such an underserved area of medicine. And then it was only really the connection to my my family and people in my family that have suffered with PCOS as well that made me realize, wow, it's like really a really popular, really common condition. Popular is not the right word, but it's a very common condition and uh, we need a lot more research. So that's where my passion for creating that research and letting the, the world know that PCOS needs to be put on the map and needs to be something that we're screening people for. Gotcha. And so is that kind of what led you to work in the area of research? Yes, I would say so. Um, I think my own struggles and seeing how I felt very confident that lifestyle change was important uh, for people with PCOS, but I didn't see research backing how to go about this. So it was you know, I know that what we eat matters. I know that our movement matters, our stress management, but the research in that, in those areas are so sparse that it was really hard to, to really tell 
people what they should be doing because we don't have evidence and I'm all about evidence backing what we're saying. So that was my main driving force was like, I truly believe in lifestyle medicine, but we need more evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the specific research that you've been able to participate in related to PCOS? Yes. So during my doctorate, I started uh, looking at uh, women with PCOS that were also suffering from uh, infertility and trying to conceive. And I was comparing women with PCOS that were trying to conceive to women without PCOS that were trying to conceive and seeing that there were some pretty strong differences in their mood, for example. Anxiety and depression were a lot higher in the women with PCOS, um, as well as their physical physical. Um, presentations of PCOS being higher hyperandrogenic, so meaning like more acne, more hair growth, and how that was actually affecting uh, their self-esteem, body image, confidence. And that's something I can relate to as well. So that part of my research was really, I think, validating. And I wanted it to be validating for other women as well to know like there is a reason that we do struggle with um, body image and and self-esteem and such. Uh, when we have symptoms that are so closely aligned to what society believes we shouldn't look like as women Mm -hmm. and and that what is feminine and what isn't feminine, et cetera, um, and that we should be hairless, clear skin bodies. And that's just not, that's not reality. So um, it it really, uh, I guess it it hurts my heart that we have to subscribe to these beauty standards, um, especially as women with PCOS that have a condition that are, you know, fighting that every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be, this is something that comes up a lot with my clients of just the way the physical symptoms of PCOS really impact them. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I I mentioned the physical, but of course there's, there's long-term complications with PCOS as well, like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So that's where uh, staying, you know, making sure that we're getting diagnosed and being able to be more aware that that is those are risk factors for us. So uh, what can we do every day to prevent that in the future, whether it be like what we're consuming or um, managing our stress, which is a big factor in heart disease and things like that, that uh, need more airtime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, you're in Canada, right? Yeah. And I don't know how like research funding works there, but I know it's been a big thing in the United States of trying to get PCOS reclassified as a metabolic condition with the NIH so that there can be more research funding for it. For sure. Um, It's quite similar in that PCOS is grouped as a reproductive or primarily a fertility issue, which is why I was able to do research is I was working in an IVF clinic, but it does it does set PCOS as a whole when we define it as a reproductive condition because we, as we know, there are multiple systems of the body that are affected, and um, we can't ignore those the effects on our heart, the effects on our our liver, etc. Yeah, and when you're looking at how research funding is allocated, uh, just having a chronic condition that is lumped in with things like heart disease and diabetes, you're going to get a lot more research funding for it versus having it only be classified in that fertility or reproductive space. Absolutely. Yeah. And also connection uh, to cancers. There's definitely 
a higher risk of endometrial cancer if we're not monitoring or if we're not bleeding regularly or don't have some form of birth control, for example, to counteract the hormonal imbalances going on. So um, that's something that I wish more more doctors were aware of that it is it is really important for us to be getting regular periods or if not to be treating that in some way. Yeah. And I think there needs to be so much more or better patient education because I think people are very frustrated when they're diagnosed with PCOS and they're prescribed birth control. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason behind that. And at least understanding the reason or having an open conversation with your doctor about the health risks if you don't want to take birth control is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's there. It is there for a good reason. And long as with there's a lot of uh, misinformation about the pill and a lot of different views um, I do I, it needs to be informed consent um, and people need to be kind of know what they're getting in for mm-hmm. and but also like the pros and the cons of of the pill exactly well moving into talking about like nutrition and lifestyle I know sometimes you and I have chatted about this over DM on Instagram but are there any nutrition myths related to PCOS or any misinformation floating around out there that you disagree with or that you kind of want to set the record straight about yes where do I begin I'll start with uh fruit I, I know we've talked about that there is the myth that we can't have fruit um, if we have PCOS. And I would also say um, that the myth exists for people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, or prediabetes or gestational diabetes. And that that comes down to the sugar content in fruit, or that's at least where the myth is coming from. And I want to say that we can definitely consume fruit. I eat fruit all the time. I think um, one thing we want to be aware of is that it's in its whole form and not, um, not say like, fruit juice or um, or dried fruit, those are fine to consume. But um, when I'm talking about the health benefits of fruit, they are in its whole form uh, as close to the ground of the tree as, as they originally were intended to come from, because then we are also consuming the fiber, mm-hmm. um, the antioxidants, the minerals, the vitamins um, in its whole package. And there's, there's so many benefits um, to eating fruit. Uh, there's evidence that there's a lower risk of type 2 diabetes the more fruit we consume. So again, it's it's not something to be afraid of. And it's also something that can bring a lot of joy. Um, and if there's and not that fear mongering is ever good about food, but there are a lot of other foods that I would be more um, afraid of than fruit if we're, if we're <laughs> going to go that route. Yeah. And I think uh, there's so much misinformation and fear mongering about blood sugar management online, Mm -hmm. which is really at the center of managing PCOS for a lot of people with insulin resistance. And I think that we lose sight of the bigger picture when we look at, you know, individual food items instead of like the health benefits of overall eating patterns, like you were saying of like increasing produce in general can really actually help insulin sensitivity you know I try versus... to compare it as like the difference of like we're not if you were to have a spoonful of sugar versus a piece of fruit they're gonna the body is gonna do much different things with it then because of the fiber it's gonna take longer to um, break down the a plum or an apple um, it's going to be more satiating so we're going to be fuller longer than the raw sugar so it's quite different it's not just like oh sugar is sugars to be avoided and such. That's the easiest way I can explain the difference. 
Yeah. And like when we're looking at how food is digested and absorbed in our bodies, it's really about what we're eating like as a whole. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying that, you know, with yes, fruit has sugar in it, but it has a lot of other things in it too. Yeah. And we normally, like we typically would eat fruit or, you know, we eat meals, as you said, with other foods. Um, so it's, it's as a whole. And that is one, one drawback to, for example, the glycemic index is that it looks at food very individually, um, as opposed to the whole glycemic load of a meal. And mm-hmm. so that's a, that's like a, a researched, I say a known researched drawback to using glycemic index for diabetes management. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this that I posted on Instagram the other day of talking about how it's okay to like eat a banana and that I never thought my <laughs> my job would be telling people like it's okay to eat fruit. I know. And that was actually the reason I named my blog Fruitful Dish when I was in grad school with a, a pH for fruitful and then D for dish because I thought it was cute because I was getting my PhD. But the <laughs> fruitful part was because I was taught to fear fruit um, as a teen and I was struggling with my weight with PCOS and insulin resistance. And, um, I was, I was told like a certain number of servings a day, specific fruits to avoid more than other ones. And it was such a, it's like a math, a mathematical game. It was a, a mind game. It was, you know, it was stressful. It was anxiety producing and it was super unnecessary at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you experienced that. Thank you. Yeah. But I, the, living a fruitful life, I think it, it comes down oh what is happening i my video okay i can still see Um, you though okay living a fruitful life is yes a a plate plates full of fruits and vegetables but also expands to you know our personal lives our 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 workplace or just yeah it it's about um, being able to thrive and be vibrant and so i think that i've taken that what was once a toxic belief and kind of turn it around into my what my own meaning of fruitful is for me. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I know another thing that you really like to promote is eating a plant-based diet and you're very knowledgeable about veganism. And I feel like being vegan or vegetarian is really kind of frowned upon by a lot of social media creators in the PCOS space. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about PCOS management when somebody is following a vegan or vegetarian diet. Absolutely. Yeah, it does get a lot of negative media attention about vegan diets and PCOS community. I think the main reason being that uh, being on a plant or eating plant-based is a lot of carbohydrates. It's quite Mm -hmm. carbohydrate heavy. And so as we're kind of alluding to with the the fruit, carbs also get a bad reputation in the PCOS community. And carbs are not bad. We need carbs at every meal. And when I'm eating plant-based, the carbs that I'm mostly getting are from amazing sources like uh, sweet potatoes, quinoa, rice, like really, really whole food nourishing sources. And those are not to, you know, not to be avoided at all. So I think that is where a lot of the confusion comes from that when you're eating vegan, what, like, how, how does that work? The other aspect would be protein, um, which does take a little bit more research and knowledge to know, you know, what are good sources of protein, but it's, it's definitely not impossible. Um, I use 
I, I use protein um, powders and that helps me, especially because I am training more um, in the gym. So I want to make sure I get that in, but whole food sources like tofu, legumes, uh, nuts, seeds, mushrooms, those are all great sources of protein. So it's definitely doable. As far as what to be aware of, uh, a B12 supplement is going to be important because we're not going to get B12 um, from food sources. Um, of course, you should probably check your blood work first as you can go overboard with B12. It's happened to me before. And then as far as other, like other nutrients are going to be very similar to across the board. It's not specific to being vegan, like uh, vitamin D. I suggest everyone know their vitamin D levels, probably supplement depending where you're living in the world. I definitely do where I am, but we know women with PCOS have typically have lower levels of vitamin D. Um, and then the other nutrients are just going to be about like getting a, eating enough and a balanced meal. Often people find that they're hungry and it might be because they're not eating enough, just not knowing what to eat in the transition. So then you've eliminated a bunch of foods, but haven't added any. So that's often where like, if you're feeling like lower energy, I would ask, are we eating enough or regularly enough? Yeah, that's definitely something I see a lot with the clients that I work with. And I think a lot of people automatically assume if they're hungry that it's from insulin resistance, which it definitely could be. But a large majority of the time, it comes back to not eating enough. And I think that Mm -hmm. goes back to, like you said, the restriction, being afraid to eat foods, cutting foods out, and this focus on weight loss in the PCOS space. And that is exactly what I researched also during my doctorate was how much food women with PCOS are eating and exercise they're doing. And if it is kind of making sense with their um, struggles with insulin and weight. And because I had this theory from like talking to other people with PCOS and, and myself too, it was just like, it didn't make sense that I could be eating so little and still struggling with weight and insulin. And, uh, and compared to like having friends that would, could eat as much as they wanted, or maybe like very unhealthily and seem to be able to, uh, to maintain their body weight. And so I was, I was just determined that there was something else going on. And on top of that, having doctors tell me, well, like you must be eating too much. You must not be working out enough. You need to like eat less and move more. And just feeling like that's impossible. I'm an athlete. I watch my nutrition like obsessively. It was unhealthy and healthy how obsessive I was about my monitoring everything I ate. And so sure enough, my research indicated that like women are telling the truth when they say that they you know, are eating very little or watching what they're eating really carefully, going to the gym and nothing is really happening. Uh, nothing's changing as far as like symptoms um, or their, their goals that they're trying to reach. And that the reason, I mean, we haven't nailed down the reason, but there is differences in basal metabolic rate um, for women with PCOS, often being a low, having a lower basal metabolic rate. And then also that could be damaged from years of dieting and restriction, mm-hmm. um, which you are very well informed on. So yeah, it's it's very complex how we we as say as healthcare providers and have almost done women with PCOS more harm than good by prescribing diets because we're now in this like yo-yo dieting uh, 
mentality as well as like our bodies are don't know what's going on don't know how to metabolize food um so it's it's a mess and i that's why i'm grateful for people like you that are <laughs> working with um clients to to heal that oh thank you for saying that and yeah i totally agree i think it's so interesting when we look at some of the things we know about the pcos population of you know, lower, um, like you said, a lower basal metabolic rate or seeing a less diverse gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it should be a really big question. Okay. Are these things from PCOS in and of itself or are these things really stemming from years and years of restriction and fear around food? Um, I think that that would be a really interesting area of research. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really hard to tease out if we are, yeah, if we're looking at women, you know, we don't know when it started. We're just looking at them right now. And so we don't know if it was, you know, years of conditioning and such, like it's very hard in the, in the diet culture we live in. We're inundated such an early age about foods that are quote unquote good, bad. And yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think you in the PCOS medical space. I mean, I've worked with plenty of adolescents or people in their early 20s who have already had so much pressure on them to mm-hmm. lose weight from their healthcare providers. And so, yeah, it definitely does start at an early age, unfortunately. I am glad to see the culture shifting a little bit, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah, I yeah. think social media has been helpful in a sense that um, we can we can use our voices and create community um, with like-minded people. Um, there is, of course, the the misinformation as well. So it's hard to know what <laughs> whether we're going right. in the right right direction or not. Right, it's kind of like a free. For, there's great information on social media, but it's also <laughs> it's like a, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I like to say it's like the wild, wild west out there. Well, thank you so much. Um, oh, wait. Oh, I do have one more question. Okay. If somebody wants to increase their plant intake, but they feel really overwhelmed or they aren't quite sure where to start, what advice would you have for them? I would say one that it is normal to feel overwhelmed. Uh, so to have some like self-forgiveness and, and grace there, um, because if you think about how much food is ingrained in our our day-to-day life from very early age, it's really normal that if you were going to make any kind of lifestyle change, that it would be overwhelming and just out of, out of our comfort zone. So, and then having said that, I think having recipes in your arsenal that you are confident in, that you get, get confident in, get comfortable with, and they're simple and easy. Like I wouldn't start off with a super fancy, like Christmas dinner or something. (laughs) I would start with, you know, breakfast or, or snacks and uh, find, I often like recipes that have lower ingredients or like lower number of ingredients that seems to be more accessible and then keep working on them and you'll often often find you'll start to make your own little additions that make it your own, which also adds to the empowerment and the self-efficacy of being able to cook and vegan for ourselves. And yeah, so use those resources. We have the internet, which has amazing free recipes. Um, I also I have a cookbook, a little plug. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely free recipes out there and I would 
lean on those when you're trying to get more plants in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we will link the cookbook in the show notes. Thank you. Well, Dylan, thank you so much for being here today. Can you tell people how they can find you and connect with you online? Yeah, it's been great talking to you. I would find me on Instagram is where I hang out the most at Cutler. Then I have my website blog um, where you could find recipes and other little informational blogs on PCOS. And that is fruitfuldish.com, the PH. Great. And we will put that in the show notes as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nourished with PCOS podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can catch new episodes. I'd also be so grateful if you left a review and rating for the pod as well. See you next Wednesday.